Oh, praise God. Everybody doing good? Enjoying the warm weather? Hey, what a privilege to be able to dedicate those children, hey? That's a part of our church family. You know, we don't do anything by ceremony. We believe in everything we're doing. And it says of Jesus that they took him and they dedicated him to the Lord. And that's what we do every time we have the opportunity to say, God, thank you for your hand on these lives. Hey, did anyone travel far this morning? I bet I beat you. I woke up in Amsterdam this morning and uh, I was over in Holland um, doing some stuff at a conference over in Holland and uh, the only way that we could make it work was to get on a flight at 8 o'clock this morning. But this is really cool. I got on a flight, um, I flew at 9 o'clock and I arrived at 8 o'clock. Isn't that awesome? I got an hour of my life back. That's incredible. I took off at 9 and I landed at 8. I thought that was just, that was just brilliant, that was like a few more of those hour-gaining moments. And we had a fantastic time. We'd gathered um, in Amsterdam with uh, 7,000 pastors and evangelists from all around the world. And we had meetings over four days of how we can get every single person in the world to hear a true gospel by 2033. And it was just, it was just a wonderful time. And I was intending just going to... A, to listen and, and, and be help in a couple of the sessions. And then um, I, had a, I, I went to take off on Tuesday night and they cancelled the flight, so I ended up flying Wednesday morning. But as I woke up, uh, I had a text from one of the speakers who said, I'm not feeling well, can you do my session? So I was like, what's the name of it? He said, the place of evangelism in the local church. I said, oh no, that's, yeah, you got me. I'll have that one there. And we were able just to talk about how every person's responsibility is to introduce their friends and family to the Jesus that's changed their life. Amen. I love to read about Andrew in the New Testament. Great name as well. The first thing he does when he gets born again or he meets Jesus is he goes and gets his brother and brings him to Jesus. There was a lot of talk over the last few days about evangelists going to different countries. In my heart, I want to see the church mobilized. I want to see every believer having a passion to see their families saved and experience and encounter Jesus. Amen? Well, thank you for that enthusiasm. It blew me away. I would have spoken to myself if I knew it was going to be that good there. Come on, let's never be scared to praise God when it's a little bit warm. Let's never be scared to lift a shout. You know, sometimes people say, oh, it's really loud in that place. What do you think it's going to be like when Jesus comes back? It says, it doesn't say he, he will return with a whisper. It says he will return with a shout. And often for me, the hotter it gets means I can praise him more for what he's done in my life. The louder I get, it's just a demonstration of I know who I was when he found me. I know what he's done in my life. Come on, let's be that praising people. All right, now we started a series last week called Pursuit, and it was based on a statement that's in a document that was sent from America to England in 1776 on July the 4th called the Declaration of Independence. I was actually had the uh, pleasure of preaching this in a tent meeting in New York two weeks ago, and it was just a brilliant topic. Let me talk about the Declaration of Independence. Now, in it was a statement, and they were saying to England, we don't want to be under your rule or your leadership 
anymore. Now, don't worry if this was 247 years ago, so nobody's angry with anyone right now. And most of you know that I'm married to an American and my children are dual citizens, so we're all good. We're all good here, all right? We're not violating anything that, that shouldn't be. Now, there was something in the Declaration of Independence that caught my attention, and it was a statement that they said, England, we want to come out from under your covering, from your leadership, because we believe it's every person's God-given right, inherit right, to be able to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That one statement really got in my heart, the pursuit of happiness. So America left the colonial rule of England because they wanted these three things that they said was the right of every person created in the image of God. That a person should know life. A person should know liberty, and a person should be free to pursue happiness. We moved it from the American and English scenario to the opening of Genesis last week, and we were speaking about Adam's act of treason in the Garden of Eden was exactly what America did to England, and we're going to celebrate that on July the 4th, I know it's coming soon. But it was a mirror image because Adam already had happiness. He just didn't know it. Adam and Eve already had liberty. They just didn't know it. Adam and Eve already had life beyond any other life that they could know. They just didn't know that they were currently experiencing the real thing. So they got conned by the devil, a whisper in the ear, to go on the pursuit of life, liberty and happiness and try and find it in other places. So last week, we're doing this in reverse order. Last week, we spoke about the pursuit of happiness. How the pursuit of happiness is not a wrong thing. It's just that people look in wrong places for happiness. The pursuit of happiness is not a wrong thing. God wants you to be happy. The problem is that some people look for happiness in wrong places. Addiction, alcohol, drugs, wrong relationships. But other people, even Christians, followers of Jesus, tried to find happiness in things like relationships that relationships can't give them because there's a happiness, a true happiness, that only comes from the God who created you. And when you encounter God, you actually, you actually encounter the creator of all things, including true happiness. So we spoke on this last week that the pursuit of happiness isn't a wrong thing. God wants you to be experiencing happiness that comes from success, relationships, and other good things that are a part of your daily life. But you've got to put him first and make your pursuit of God, seeking first the kingdom, the number one thing, because then he will add to you all the other stuff that gives you a happy life. But I want to look at the second one today, because we're going in reverse order. The Declaration of Independence said, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. We're going that way, so we've done pursuit of happiness. Now we want to look at liberty. What is liberty? According to the dictionary, or one dictionary that I read, it says this, two things. Liberty is freedom. It's freedom. Liberty is freedom. Come on, every person is in pursuit of freedom. Again, rewind to Genesis, the opening of the Bible. Adam had true freedom, but 
but he was conned by the lie of a devil in his ear that there was a greater freedom that he could know outside of what God had already given. And just like the pursuit of happiness, the sons and daughters of Adam, we've been in pursuit of this thing called liberty. But I don't know about you, I didn't find it anywhere that I looked. I found measurements and shadows of it, but I only found true liberty when I came into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Anybody else? Got any friends out there? Good. So the dictionary says that liberty is freedom. Another word for liberty is freedom. Say freedom, you mean liberty. Say liberty, you mean freedom. But it also means the state of a person being free. So when we talk about freedom, when we talk about liberty, we talk of the condition of a person not being imprisoned in their life, not being incarcerated in their life, either by addiction or by policy or any other thing, but a person experiencing freedom. Now, to me, this statement got me a lot of friends in New York as well. I said, liberty is not a statue in a harbour. It's a cross on a hill. Now, in New York, you've got the Statue of Liberty. It was a gift from the French to them. And it welcomed people into the new country that had been colonised by the British and by the Dutch. And at the entrance of Manhattan in the waterway there, you've got this statue, the Statue of Liberty. How many people know that New York's really not living in much liberty right now? America's not living in true liberty right now. England is not living in true liberty right now. Monuments of liberty are nice to look at, but they don't mean much at all in comparison to a humble cross on a hill 2,000 years ago. Because it's at the cross of Jesus Christ, a person that's in pursuit of happiness can find not just happiness but true joy and end their pilgrimage. At the cross of Christ, that cross on a hill called Golgotha, 2,000 years ago is where a person still today finds not just freedom but true freedom. All right, a couple of verses on this. John 8, verse 36. It speaks of Jesus. It says, So if the Son sets you free, if the Son gives you freedom, you will be free in Indeed. If the Son, Jesus, gives you freedom, you won't just have momentarily freedom in your life. You'll have true freedom that's there the next morning and the rest of your days. Now, the gospel of Jesus, that word gospel just simply means good news. The good news of Jesus is the message of freedom, not man-made freedom or momentarily free but free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free completely. Who the Son, Jesus, sets free walks in a liberty and a freedom you can't find in any other place. Now, the message of the cross on the hill, it's a simple message, but it's a life-changing one. It speaks of the blood that was shed for our sins, but also the cross that enables us to experience a death so that we can experience new life. When we look at the cross, there's two things that we need to understand. The cross is a place 
of co-crucifixion. Maybe you've never heard that before. You've seen the images of Jesus on the cross and you know that Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago for the sin of humanity. Not only did he die for the sins of the people, you died with him and in him so that you could be free from the person you were and the past you had. See, the message of the cross is a message of co-crucifixion. Co means there's more than one person taking part in the moment. We need to keep preaching this, guys, because we live in a world where people are just trying to mend themselves, how to be the best you. The sad thing is some preachers are preaching that too, how to be the best you. Well, according to Romans 6, it starts with you being a dead you, that you see a conclusion to the person you were before Christ. You get his resurrection life in you, and you begin to live a life that's freer than you ever knew. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ died on the cross for all man. All man is represented in that crucifixion, the moment that they place faith in Jesus as saviour. But the bit I want to underline is at the cross, God gives you freedom from your past. Isn't that awesome? I don't want to manage my past. I want to treat it as something that's dead because God says it's dead. Now, if you want to keep it alive and keep giving it CPR, that's your bag. It ain't going to be mine. Because the Bible doesn't say, keep the old you alive somehow. It says, let that sucker die. Let that sucker die. How do you let them die? By acknowledging when he was crucified, your old man was crucified in him and with him. So if you've been crucified and you've died... One and one, I didn't do too good at school, but I know one and one equals you're not who you used to be. See, the gospel message, the message of salvation, offers somebody a spirit-filled new existence. But you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit, we call that incarnation, until you've experienced co-crucifixion. I know it's hot, everybody with me? The message of the cross isn't let's fix you up. The message of the cross is not let's give you a rust maintenance program. The message of the cross is let's get rid of who you were, all your strongholds, all your baggage, all your rubbish. Let's see that person come to an end so that you can experience a freedom and a liberty to be a brand new person who's no longer a slave to the things that held them. You say, you're preaching all right, but I don't know if this is in the Bible. Thank you for asking. Let me read you a couple of verses. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. Listen to how it says this. It says, verse 20, I have been, that's past tense, right? Yeah, everybody agree? It's not future tense. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but now it's Christ who lives in me. This is the message of the gospel, co-crucifixion. It's no longer I who lives. Everything old stops when we see ourselves in Christ. But then the next statement, it's no longer me that lives, I, self, the person I was. But now, what did it say? This is Paul preaching, not me. It's now Christ. It's Jesus 
who's living in me. Oh, that's just a random verse. No, I think not. Let's go to Romans 6, verse 6. Another one of my favourites. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old person was crucified, co-crucifixion, with him. Right? It says it, right? Our old person was, past tense, crucified after him? No, with him, in order that the body of sin may be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin or any other thing that had a grip on our life. See, Jesus wasn't, it's not, the gospel isn't a message of behaviour modification. It's a message of the ending of an old life. So a person can experience, whether that person's 20, whether that person's 40, whether that person's 78, whether that person is 104, but a person when they believe the message of the cross, what Jesus Christ did on the hill of Golgotha 2,000 years ago, in the moment they believe their old life is co-crucified in Christ, everything that had a grip is broken. Come on, death finalises everything, right? Even the tax man won't come after you once you, the death is final. We've got to get this message that he's not modifying us. We're being sanctified, but we were given a brand new life. So what does God do through the bloodshed and the power of the cross? Because the blood dealt with your sin, the cross dealt with you. Let me say that again. The blood dealt with your sin. The cross dealt with you. The blood couldn't deal with the sinner. The sinner needed a death. I'm all right, Sean. It's just going okay. All right, quiet, quiet, quiet. The blood dealt with your sin. It settled your bill. When you place faith in Jesus Christ, your bill is settled, but also your old person is no more. He died he was buried, praise God, he didn't stay dead. He rose. All the others, Muhammad, Buddha, they all stayed dead. They couldn't even stir the earth above their head. Jesus Christ broke through the ground. Only person to rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he could now put his life in us. Why could God not live in a person before? Because when a person was a sinner, they were unholy, and holy couldn't live in unholy. So through his death, he removed the old person that we were, not just so that we could experience a new life, so that Christ, the Holy Spirit, could come and live in the lives of you and me. We preach co-crucifixion, we preach incarnation, but we died, everything we were died at the cross because God didn't want to live in a box, he didn't want to live in a temple, he didn't want to live in a tent, he wanted to come and live in in you. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. So Christ living in you is freedom for your future, right? Christ on the cross is freedom from your past. Now maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. I can deal with your past and everything that had a grip on you in one moment if you'll place faith in Jesus Christ. The message of the cross gives you freedom from who you were so you don't have to carry that old guy on your back anymore. But the message of the gospel also says there was a moment at the cross and there was also a day called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit 
came out of heaven not to live in buildings. I don't think he would choose a sports hall, do you? <laughs> but to live in people. And when the Spirit of God is living in your life, you, you're not going to find freedom like that anywhere else. Now, I know this broken world, this fractured world that we live in, offers an element of freedom and liberty through courses and causes. And I'm not saying they're wrong. A lot of the causes that we believe in bring freedom to people that need to have freedom. But there ain't no freedom like the freedom of the Holy Ghost when he comes into your life because the Bible says who the Son sets free is free indeed. He frees you from your past in one moment of believing and then he brings freedom into your life. You say, okay, where's the verse for that then, man? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now listen, now the Lord is spirit. Okay, we could say, now the Lord is spirit. Or we could say, now the Lord is spirit. Because the spirit came down on the day of Pentecost to the earth to live in the hearts of people. Now the Lord is spirit. We haven't removed the Trinity, there's still the Father, there's still the Son, but we're also saying, now the Lord is Spirit. Now, now stay with me. So the Spirit of Jesus Christ doesn't now live with us. Remember what Jesus taught, and when he comes, he will be with you and he will be in you. All right, so if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, let me keep reading, don't interrupt. Now the Lord is Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me say that again. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, where's the Spirit today? Could we just have some agreement? He's with us, but he's in us. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Another use of that word would be liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to set people free. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. Not liberty and freedom that lasts a moment or comes from a cause or comes from a course that lasts or does a little bit of work, but rather true freedom where from the inside out, every bondage begins to let go of your life Everything that had a grip of you begins to release you. You no longer live under things that hold you a prisoner, but suddenly you're free. Now stay with me. You're not free from the outside in like a prisoner in a prison cell. (laughs) You're free from the inside out. Because through co-crucifixion, I was freed from my old man and who I used to be. And through incarnation now, the Spirit of God, another word for the Spirit of God is freedom and liberty has come to live in me. Well, I don't feel free. No one's asking you how you feel. Get over that junk. You want to wake up in Holland at quarter to five in the morning after a conference that lasted four days. Feel saved. I didn't feel human. I didn't wake up till I hit Amsterdam airport and had a a cup of coffee. We don't live by feelings. We don't wait for feelings to give us permission that something's true. We place faith and belief in what God says is real. And it is real, and then our feelings experience what is real. Right? 
we've got to begin to walk around going, thank you, I'm not the person I used to be, co-crucifixion. <laughs> thank you, I'm not alone anymore. Holy Spirit is with me and he's in me. Anytime I encounter bondage, I've got heaven's liberty, freedom, resident within my life. All right, let's bring this in for a landing. Now, just like there's counterfeits with happiness, there's counterfeits with freedom. This world can't give you the genuine of happiness, freedom, or life. It can only imitate and give you a taste of something similar. But why would you drink something that's similar when the real thing's available? If I'd only ever drunk Coca-Cola from Lidl's that cost about 3p, I'd probably be quite happy with it until the day I spent a little bit more money and I bought a real Coke. I don't know about you, I'm thinking about, I'm on Diet Coke these days for obvious reasons, but I like my coffee hot. Anybody else? It's like, do you want an iced coffee? No, no, I like my coffee hot. I like my Coca-Cola. So cold, it gives your brain freeze. That's a good day for me. Now, if all you tasted is the cheap Lidl's Coca-Cola, you'd probably be relatively happy because you haven't got any comparison. But that moment, you taste the real thing. You don't want the cheap stuff anymore. Maybe you're here today and you've just been drinking cheap happiness and you didn't know there was something better available. Maybe you're here today and you've been drinking free, cheap liberty. Oh, if I do this, if I do what I want, I'll be free. This is what I believe I am. I identify as this. I want to be this. The course says I can be this. The person on YouTube says I can be this. There'll probably be a dash of something in there. But why would you settle for that when you can get a big two-point glass of freedom that's from the first sip till the last sip that will get into every area of your life where you haven't been free and bring freedom and liberty in a way that you've never experienced it from anything this world tried to give you. Oh, I believe in identification. I tried identifying as a 12-stone weightlifter. The problem was when I took my shirt off before I went to bed, it wasn't true. You see, identification finds its strength in God's kingdom. The moment a person identifies that through faith in Jesus Christ, their old man is crucified, the old man is crucified. The moment a person identifies that God's spirit now lives in them, God's spirit they'll begin to experience. I suppose another way of me saying this to you today is only believe. All things are possible. I could preach for another four hours today. Just wanted to see Wayne's face when I said that. I'm done, apart from one thing. To give you an invitation, how bad would it be if I laid a banquet <laughs> and then said, well, good night, everybody, and didn't invite anyone to eat? I can't grab you by the neck and drag you to the table. God wouldn't want me to do that. But I can stand here, not just as a preacher, but as a man that's been changed. 
I can stand before you as a, a person that was so bound, so confused. People here will bear witness with me. So broken, so messed up. But I met Jesus Christ. I bowed my knee, not to a statue in a harbour, but to a cross on a hill. And the power of that cross set me free. And the Holy Spirit of God came to live in. I wouldn't have lived with me. I wouldn't have lived with me. The thing was, when God came, I wasn't me anymore. I was a brand new person. God's offering a brand new life for you today. Maybe you're here and you've pursued liberty in different areas involving substance abuse, relationships, modern progressivism where suddenly life should be different because God's changed his mind. It's just garbage. God changeth not. He still offers life and freedom and hope to anyone that will come to him. So how about we just pray at the end of this brilliant service? Good job with the dedications, Paula and Sean. Didn't they do a good job? So proud of you guys, really are. That was, that was awesome. That was better than any I'd done. That was great. I mean, even the Reverend Stuart would be, a Stuart would be challenged by, yeah, up in his hand. That was really good. And again, if you're visiting and family, we're so thankful that you came and how you're going to celebrate the rest of the day. We hope it's just a great day. Maybe you visited to us and you thought we were a bit weird, but you like something. Please come back and see us again. But I want to give an opportunity right now to any person under the sound of my voice, whether you're here or whether you're listening to the podcast or whether you're listening to this on any other media platform. There's a choice that you've got to make because a God who made Adam and Eve gave them everything they needed, but they could choose to turn their back on him. They turned their back on him. Today, the sons and daughters of Adam can make a choice to turn their face back towards him. And in that moment, everything that Adam was made to know becomes yours. How do you do that? Well, we don't believe in things like Hail Marys and good works producing salvation. We believe the Bible says that a person is justified, made right with God through faith, in Jesus Christ. As simple as that. Now I know the moment you receive Jesus, there's a whole lot of work that's going to take place in your life. I'm not saying it won't. I don't understand how a microwave works. I just know it all starts when I push a button. And somehow, I haven't got a clue how, suddenly the food within it comes out hot. I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how God did in my life what he did. I just remember a day when I pressed the button and I said, go on then God, do what you can do. It's yours. I'll give you a go. Fair shot. Do what you want to do. If this is true, make it true in me. That's my prayer. <laughs> what God's done in my life has been so beautiful and he's still doing. Amen. Can we pray this prayer together today? And If you're adversely against it, feel free not to. But what if God heard that prayer? What if everything I've been saying for the last 30 minutes wasn't a load of rubbish? What if this is real and the happiness and the liberty you've been looking for, you've just been looking in the wrong places, that's all. Can we pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, thank you 
for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for my sin and to give me a new life. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I need you. Be my saviour and my Lord. I bring my life to the foot of a cross and I say, give me the life you promised I could know. Thank you for forgiving my sin, for filling me with your Holy Spirit, for causing an old person to be no more and for me to be born anew. I receive the gift of salvation with thanksgiving. Just while every eye's closed, every head's bowed. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer or maybe you did and you got confused and you kind of left the pathway. But today, you know in your heart, there's a heartbeat within you that says, it's time, it's time, it's time. What have you got to lose? Anything you do lose when you look back later, you realise you didn't want it anyway. I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you if you've prayed that prayer because you want to receive Jesus, you want to come back to Jesus today. You want to start a journey with God, not with religion, with God. You want to know what it is to have the spirit of the living God living in you, to be free from the things that held you. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to be really bold and really brave. Do something scary for some, not for others. I'm going to ask you when I say three to lift your hand and say that prayer is mine. I want you to own that prayer because if you take it seriously, God will take it seriously. So I'm going to, I'm going to say these three numbers and I'm going to give you this opportunity. One. You've got nothing to lose, have you? You've got everything to gain. Everything could turn around. Two, three. Is there anyone today and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ? I see that hand right there. Thank you so much for that hand lifted there. Is there a second person and you say, me too, Andy? Come on, what you got to lose? You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. God bless you. I see that hand at the back there, that second person that says, me too. Is there a third person and you say, me too, Andy? Me too, Andy. Me too, Andy. It's your choice. Choose life choose life anyone else I'm going to bring this in for a landing now there's two little hands gone up at the back there praise God you're never too young that's about four isn't it is there a fifth person just going to wait just a couple of seconds because I, I feel somebody struggling I feel somebody struggling what you got to lose God bless you thank you I'll see that hand I see that hand. You've got nothing to lose. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Is there an eighth person? You say, well, I've got nothing to lose, have I? Hey, when you've got nothing to lose, what have you got to lose? <laughs> nothing. Just going to wait just a couple of seconds. Listen, Jesus is coming soon. And I want to have done everything I could do for him to make sure I've got as many in the boat. There's number eight, praise God. Thank you, thank you. Number nine. 
I want to do everything I could do for him to get as many people in that boat when he comes back as I can. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these people who have responded today and I want to thank you for touching their lives in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, would you come upon them? Would you fill their lives? Would something inside of them suddenly change? In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you lifted your hands, we're going to give you a big clap in a minute because we love this in Family Church. But if you lifted your hands, we want to give you a free Bible. We want to give you some stuff to help you take your next steps. There's a sign at the back, my right, your left, which says, best decision ever. Please just give us three minutes so we can give you that Bible, see if there's anything we can do to help. Now, the Bible says that the whole of heaven rejoices when one turns to God. So what do you reckon is happening now that eight have? Come on, church. Let's welcome these people. Let's celebrate what they've done. Come on, let's celebrate. Oh, that's all right, but I think it's worth more. Come on, let's celebrate what God's done. We thank you, God, for touching lives today. All right, you ready? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless. Have a great week.